Good morning. Um, happy Palm Sunday. I'm not exactly sure the official greeting on Palm Sunday. Um, it's a bit of a hard, I don't even know if we could call it a holiday. It's a, it's a hard day um, to remember because, um, you know, there's all this happy Hosanna the celebration. Finally, the people see Jesus as king, but they have the wrong idea. So then a few days later, they're shouting, crucify him. And so then there's Good Friday, but it doesn't feel good. And I know why we call it good, but it doesn't feel good. In fact, Jesus is dead and it's done until there's Sunday, right? So it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster. This uh, Holy Week, I've heard Passion Week it called. It's rough. It's rough. Now, I will tell you, though, I was born on Palm Sunday, so that is all good. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So I was telling my kids this several years back, and Anna, who was four at the time, looked at me with some concern and confusion and said, the first one? (laughs) No. No. Not the first one. (laughs) Okay, so Phil has been telling us that the the Psalms Psalms teach us how to integrate what we know with what we feel. What we know with what we feel. So the Israelites um, were given a core testimony about who God was. In Exodus 34, God God reveals himself to Moses. Moses. Uh, It's the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I've jumped over some of it, but uh, not letting the wicked go unpunished. Okay, so there's these truths about God that they know, they've been taught, they've seen exemplified in their history. They know this about God, but then they're living life and they experience something that's very different God doesn't seem compassionate. I don't feel his compassion. These wicked are going unpunished. And so the Psalms are this wrestling with, ah, what do we do with this? What do we do with this discrepancy between what we know about God and what we feel? And today we're going to use Psalm 22 to look at how David does this. How does he integrate what he knows with his current circumstances? If you know Psalm 22, I'm letting you know that it's not the kind of psalm that's put to, you know, the tune of if you're happy and you know it, all right? It's it's a bit of a downer, (laughs) which you know I like to make you laugh, but um, we may not get a lot of that (laughs) this morning. All right, Psalm 22 is the kind of, it's the kind of passage where if someone asks you to speak about it, they get you to say yes before they ask you or they tell you that they want you to speak on Psalm 22. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, so um, we're going to pray and then we're going to read portions of Psalm 22 together. So Father, we know that you are faithful and we know that you are good and all those things that you told us about yourself, compassionate, gracious, abounding in love and faithfulness. Help us to see, help us to hear how how these things fit together, how our lives, how our pain fits together with your goodness and your faithfulness. Okay, 
We're going to look at a few of these passages. So I'm going to read them to you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. So we don't really know the specifics of what was going on in David's life uh, at this time that made him feel these things, that made him feel so far from God. Uh, Kind of like we know Psalm 51 has to do with his little indiscretion with Bathsheba and Uriah, but this we don't know exactly. But I think even as you read it, if you've read it this past week or if you read it this coming week, you'll find yourself sliding right into thinking about Jesus on the cross, right? Those first words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It brings us right back to the cross. And even the rest of the psalm, I mean, the descriptions are uncanny of, of someone who is being crucified, It's an incredibly prophetic point. But what we do know is that David and Jesus were feeling forsaken, in anguish, left alone, rejected, mocked, abandoned. There is a special kind of suffering when we've been abandoned by someone we've trusted. Do you know this feeling? In the realm of marriage counseling, we call it attachment injury. There's a wound to the bond. Some would call it betrayal. Forsaken. I needed you in this moment and you weren't there for me. And it happens all over in all of our important relationships, not, not just in marriage, but it does happen in marriage, um, as serious as infidelity, but it could also be as common as friends not showing up when they said they would. It could be, I told you what the doctor said my diagnosis was, and you said nothing. It can be between parents and adult children. It can be between siblings And it certainly happens in our relationship with God. All I want is a child, and you do nothing. You know what people say to me when they're trying to make sense of why these things happen? Whether it's in their relationships with people or their relationship with God, there's a phrase He doesn't care. She doesn't care. I'm telling you, she doesn't care. I hear it all the time. I think it all the time. (laughs) I've said it. Let me give you an example. Uh, Parenting is really hard for me. It always has been hard for me. It probably always will be. Right now we're in this kind of magical window uh, of pre-puberty, post-potty training. It's really nice. (laughs) Breather to kind of get you ready for um, the real uh, game. But early on, all my kids were five and under, and I was exhausted, and I was um, 
dealing with a particular struggle with one of my children. I'm not going to mention her name, but it's Sophia. <laughs> anyway, so I was pouring my heart out after, you know, they're all in bed, which is a great time to have deep conversations with your spouse, right? At, at like eight o'clock or after, uh, after a full day with toddlers. Um, and I was crying and explaining how I can't do this. I cannot be a mom and I need to, but I can't. And I don't even want to right now, but I need to. And do you want to know what Steve told me in response? <clears throat> Go ahead, tell me. Yes. You can do it. That would have been a really nice thing. Yeah, yeah. What, what else? It's, it's, it's hard. It's too bad. Yeah, that would have been nice too. <laughs> okay, just a second. I do want to tell you, I got his permission to tell you the story. And the spoiler alert is that he really is a good guy. I will get to that point, but you got to hang with me for a second. No, he said nothing. He said nothing. I'm pouring out my heart, which I don't usually do. I mean, really. <laughs> and there's nothing. Nothing in that moment. And often when we're trying to make sense of these things, we don't have all the information. And the only thing that makes sense is that he doesn't care. God doesn't care. When we don't have all the information, there's this vacuum and negative rushes in. And the only possible thing that makes any sense at all is that he doesn't care. I will tell you that when Steve came to bed that night, he found the doors locked and his pillows in the hallway. <clears throat> so, I've heard the phrase, he doesn't care or she doesn't care so many times. I've come up with this very sophisticated therapeutic intervention uh, that I've honed over the years to, to help people kind of loosen these beliefs. You want to know what it is? I tell them they're wrong. <laughs> it's really very effective. <laughs> I'm a great therapist. Okay, so <laughs> come back. We're going to just uh, look at this again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Do you hear David saying it? Don't you care? Don't you care that I'm in this pain? This is a key moment. Because when we believe that someone does not care, when we really begin to believe it, you know, if we see them as turned away from us, what do we begin to do? We turn away, don't we? This hurts too much. I'm not going to be hurt again. I'm not going to be ignored again. When we perceive someone as turning away from us, we often do this. We're not going to be willing to invest in a relationship when we perceive them as being turned away, far away, so quiet. I mean, it, you guys probably know people who we've seen as pillars of the faith who have walked away in moments like this, usually when there's some pain that they don't understand. So it's in these moments that I am pleading with you to hang on, hang on. It's like the time between Palm, East, uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. When we believe that Jesus has come with his kingdom, he's talking all about his kingdom, and then we turn around and he's dead. In those moments, we are thrown into confusion and despair. But hang on. Listen to how David hangs on at least a little bit. 
All right, hold on. So he's wrestling with these, uh, this experience of feeling rejected, and he says, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. He's hanging on here. He's not singing happy, happy, joy, joy. There's no praise right here yet, right? But he's hanging on. What else have I got? It reminds me of when Jesus uh, turns to Peter after some of the disciples have walked away from Jesus. And he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, it's not like I'm excited to be here, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm hanging on. You chose me, and I don't know where to go from here, but it still seems like the best path, the best possibility. So in these places, how do we integrate what we know with what we are experiencing? And let me suggest that in these moments... You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a cultural narrative, peer pressure, uh, to walk away from God in moments of hard. Consider the phrase, um, how can you possibly believe in a benevolent God when so many terrible things happen? Do you hear it in there? It's obvious to them that God doesn't care. He's not benevolent. It's kind of like, Uh, when a marriage is rocked by infidelity, there's often a lot of pressure for the betrayed spouse to leave. Of course you would leave him or her, as the case may be. But if we can hang on long enough, we might be able to turn this relationship, to turn our faith into something new. So in the case of an affair, we work really hard to take it as an opportunity, you know, because usually there's patterns that are in a marriage that lead to an affair that now, man, it's all come to the light and now we deal with them, address them, and we try to do things differently in a way that leads to more intimacy, more trust. I want to show you this picture. This bowl is uh, repaired with a, with the Japanese art of kintsuki. Um, in this practice of kintsuki, they repair ceramic items with this lacquer that's been mixed with gold. And you can see what a piece of art that is. Isn't that beautiful? But previous to being um, repaired, it was broken in shards. So beyond being a practice, this kintsuki uh, is also a philosophy that holds that the breakage is actually an important part of this bowl's history, and that the breakage and the eventual repair is what makes it more beautiful and more strong. So how can our faith, what can we do that would make our faith like this? where when we're going through something hard, when we're crying out to God, where are you? We pulled into a stronger faith. So David starts Psalm 22 with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who is he talking to? God, yeah, yeah, you can interact with me here. <laughs> this, is, this is good. Yeah, God. He's talking to God directly. God's the one who he feels forsaken by, right? So he's doing this. uh, He's perceiving God as having forsaken him, but he's still talking directly to him, which is much better than doing this. Doing this, there's no hope for reconnection, right? 
where we've walked away, regardless of what's happening over here, which we don't always know. But he's talking directly to him, and that's the first thing, aside from hanging on in the midst of our confusion and despair, start talking directly to God. David does this over and over in the Psalms. The other psalmists do this over and over. There's more lament psalms than any other type of psalm. Did you know that? There's uh, Job who talks directly to God. And God seems to want that in Job, in the little pieces we hear about what God really thinks. There's a whole book called Lamentations. Jeremiah is doing that too. We got to talk directly to him. Turn toward him. And this is scary because there's the possibility of more hurt, isn't there? There's the possibility of feeling ignored again and still. But when we cry out to him, the doors open, the door stays open, and there's hope. There's possibility. There's the possibility of life. All right. So at that point, when we're crying out to God, we're talking about our pain, uh, what, typically, what do we do typically when we're in pain? We, we focus on the pain, don't we? And there's certainly purpose in that. We need that because then we take corrective action. When I have a stress headache, I need to pay attention to the fact that I'm in pain and I need to change my life so that I'm not so stressed out. When there's pain in our leg, we have to go figure out what's going on because it could be something serious. It's, a, it's meant to draw attention. But we can take that a little bit far, especially with relational pain. I think it's really tempting to take this far. And we focus on it. We only focus on our experience. It's really, they're, whatever they're doing, it's, I'm sure, for a ridiculous reason. But yeah, it's, it's my pain. I'm focused on it. Imagine that this circle is that experience. It's our pain. And then we talk about it. We validate it. We get people on our side, right, to say, so that they can say, oh, it's, it's so hard for you. Ah, <laughs> uh, but if you've ever listened to Paul Harvey, do you guys remember Paul Harvey? Yeah, what was his phrase? The rest of the story. Yes, there is always the rest of the story. Now, this is a bit of a simplistic example. There's many uh, circles of yellow in here, but there's going to be more to the story. And the more you can keep yourself looking for the rest of the story, the more it will help you integrate what you know about God and what you feel, what your experience is. We humans are not good at looking for the rest of our story. Do you know, we tend to think that I believe what I see. Uh, It's not that way. Research shows that you actually see what you believe. So if I believe you don't care, I'm going to see all the things you do that prove that you don't care. Right? I'm not going to see all the ways that you've tried or been invested or have been involved and attempted to um, engage with me. So that's part of what we have to do. That's the opposite, right? We have to look for the rest of the story. Look at how David zooms out from his experience to look at the rest of the story. Yet, I gather, did you hear the yet? I like the yet. We are people of the yet, because it keeps that door open. 
Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Okay, so first of all, this isn't just about me, right? I may not see God's deliverance. That's true. I may suffer the rest of my life. But that doesn't mean you aren't trustworthy. You came through for my ancestors, It opens the possibility, looking at the past, looking at other people and their experience with God, opens up the possibility to something other than he doesn't care. Something other than he's forsaken me. It's wrestling with our pain and it's backing away from the immediacy of the pain that we're in and balancing it out with a little bit more information. Let me give you an example. So I um, work in downtown Castle Rock, and they have these crosswalks, um, and I don't even know if they're still there, but they used to be these um, like knives and spoons and zippers and all these whimsical creations that I just thought were a waste of somebody's time and certainly our money. Um, and I was kvetching about this to someone who had more information, um, and he informed me that, well, actually the town was going to be spending thousands of dollars on these brick crosswalks because they were, like, quaint, and then even to repair them, they would cost thousands and thousands of dollars, and the spoons actually cost something like $50, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something that different. And so I didn't feel so bad anymore. <laughs> I wasn't irritated every time I crossed the street, right? But the more information balanced out my response. So remember how um, Steve <laughs> responded to me in my time of need? <clears throat> so it turns out, uh, after you know, several years, we were reflecting back on this, um, and it turns out that how Steve is, what he does is, he, so he thinks inside his head. I don't, <laughs> uh, which causes a lot of problems. <laughs> I, you, the folks who do this internal processing, who can think inside, you don't know how good you have it. it is, you look so smart <laughs> all the time. So he was thinking in his head the whole time, how do I make this better for her? How do I try to make it, which you all, all you parents know, there's no making it better. You just survive, <laughs> right? So he was caring. He was thinking of me. He was trying to fix it. And he was coming up with nothing, which is accurate. But he, then he wasn't saying anything. But it wasn't because he didn't care. It was just because he couldn't come up with anything that would make my life better in that moment. And that helps. That helps me have a different view of Steve. Doesn't it help you have a different view of Steve? Yeah. <laughs> uh. So David remembered that it's not that God forsook him for abandoned him. There's something different. But the way our brains work, they, it, it uh, works through repeated use. Okay? So when we do something over and over it makes this neuron pathway that gets stronger and stronger, like a rut, right? And we've kind of fallen into that rut. And, it's, and so that's how habits are formed. That's how we learn how to do um, anything that we do. So the same thing goes with our thoughts. So if I think God doesn't care over and over and over, I've made a neuron pathway 
that's easy to fall into when I have hard in my life. What we have to do is create a new neuron pathway with the truth. And we don't just need to hear it once. Um, oftentimes when I'm working with a couple and we're in this, oh, you do care moment, they have to, I encourage them to repeat this information more than once and a lot, a lot, because we're undoing this pathway in our brain. And the same is true with God. We have to tell ourselves the truth about God because it takes effort to rebuild this new pathway of trust. So here's the money verse, which I think God probably takes offense at because he's like, Veronica, I wrote all the verses. Um, It's not just this one that's good, but I actually think that this one is, it's good, it sticks. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but read this to me or with me, but has listened to his cry for help. For he has not despised or scorned us in our affliction. He has not turned away from us. He's listened. In fact, God does care. Through all our pain, he cares. And if you believe God doesn't care, this is where I use that therapeutic technique on you and tell you, you're wrong. He cares. He doesn't discount our pain or pretend that it doesn't matter. He doesn't shame us for moaning about it. So I know many of you are extraordinary parents. and live without regret, and I congratulate you. I have many regrets. I'm working on some today. (laughs) Uh, But the type of parenting regret I feel pretty keenly is when I misread my my kids' cries for help. We all know that children sometimes cry for attention, yes? Sometimes they cry to get out of something. Sometimes they cry because they want something. Sometimes they cry because they are really in pain. Okay, and sometimes I misread that. So when Sophia was, oh, about two, we were on a long car trip. Steve was driving. I was in the passenger seat, turned around, because that's always fun, trying to figure out what's wrong, what's happening. She's crying and crying and crying and crying, trying to make her more comfortable, trying to change something, and nothing is working. She's crying and crying. So guess what I do? I, I, I have tried saying stop, that, that's effective, yes? <laughs> what, I ignored her. More than that, I turned the radio up. <laughs> Mother of the year, I'm telling you. Hey, listen, statistically speaking, there have to be half of us that are below average parents. I'm happy to take the fall so that you guys can be the upper level. <clears throat> yeah, I turned up the radio. Two minutes later, she throws up all over herself everywhere. That poor baby was in pain. And I turned the radio up. Thankfully, we serve a God who doesn't turn up the radio. Who doesn't despise the suffering that we face. But has listened to his cry for help. The promise, you know how we sing, uh, all your promises are yes and amen. Faithful you are. But what is he faithful to do? What is he promising us? Not a life without pain. If you believe that, if you lean on that promise, you will fall, you will walk away. 
He promises to care, to pay attention, to be with us. He doesn't make someone marry us when we're sad, uh, single, and lonely. Sorry, I didn't mean sad. Single is what I meant. <laughs> oh, my, my attempts to be inclusive, it's all for naught. Okay, so... <clears throat> He doesn't prevent pain. He doesn't prevent Alzheimer's disease. He doesn't prevent cancer. He doesn't prevent, um, this is my cue. (laughs) (laughs) Told you, I can't. uh. But he does promise to pay attention to us. Remember, suffering is inevitable. Suffering alone is unbearable. And God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't let us suffer alone. When Steve was sick um, and being really hard to relate to, and I have stories there where I did not know how sick he was. And I just thought he was turning into a big jerk over the course of our marriage. And really it was after the surgery, months after the surgery, that I had more information, that I was able to see, oh, you were dying. Oh, I had no idea. That's what it was. So that's that more information really does change things. But in the course of that, man, it was rough and I would cry out to God. And you know what I sensed God saying? I know. I know. He cared. David's faith is not oriented around ease or comfort or happiness but around God's attentive care. That's how we become that kintsuki bowl. That's a piece of art and so strong because we're leaning on the true faithfulness of God that he cares. And our hope then becomes placed in the eternal. And Jesus is dying on the cross. Our remembering that is a remembrance that proves once again that he cares. We're not forsaken. There's clear evidence. God wants us. He cares for us. Uh, I'm going to just change gears a little bit. Um, I want to say thank you for the new youth pastor. I think that's great. I'm excited for that. I'm on the team that helps out with that. Um, I want you to consider joining us. We're a really fun team. The teens are really great Um, it's a little bit painful because they're like, know me, know me, get to know me. Not like that. You know, so there's a little bit of, um, you know, self-defense you have to use, but it is a good thing. And I don't know if, um, you know, who's on the team, but you know, half of us are like halfway in the grave. So we really do need help. So anyway, and we take people clearly of all ages, um, young and old, <laughs> um, and we would love to have you join us. Um, and I'm sure there will be more information about that as Mike comes on board. I also just want to say to my peeps online, I miss you. Come back to church. Oh my gosh, if you could have been here today to hear, you might not have heard, but there were people talking all through the prayer. (laughs) And it was great. (laughs) The prayer was good too, but the talking, the din, I love it. It's, I miss you, come back. 
Um, it, and it is good to see so many of you guys here. I, I was thinking that I missed your faces, but I really do think I miss hearing you. It's wonderful to be with you. And now I don't have to hear myself sing because I hear you guys singing, so it's much better. <laughs> so thank you, and I'll let you take over. <laughs> Let's thank Brian. Really